Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Look, football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and NHL, it's in full swing. And you know what's right around the corner? Baseball, my favorite sport. And the only place you should be getting in on all these sports is at BetOnline.ag. And look, if you're not into sports, BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. It has hundreds of props with real-time odds and almost anything you can imagine. And of course, the 24-hour online casino. So head to the website and use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's right, all at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining in on the pod today. I have a very special guest. I'm so excited and grateful to have him on today. He is Chicago's own. And now the play-by-play man for the New York Mets, it's Wayne Rendazzo. How are you, my friend? Hi, Joey. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Love is in the air. Spring training is in the air. And I'm really thankful that you were able to carve out a little bit of time for me. I'm hopeful if we can get started like this, for just our listeners, I'm hoping you can maybe just kind of walk us through your journey back at the St. Charles East days, you know, all the way to (laughs) Kane County, and just take us all the way up to being the play-by-play man for the New York Mets. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's quite a journey. You know, it started long before I even was in St. Charles, uh, thinking that I wanted to be a baseball announcer, you know, growing up, um, you know, watching the Cubs on WGN every day, you know, and watching Harry Carey do his thing was really uh, inspirational to me, you know, just seeing how much fun Harry had with it, um, getting caught up in, in the Wrigley Field vibe and um, everything that was, you know, Cubs baseball back then. Yeah, even though a lot of those years the Cubs weren't very good, you know, when you're a kid, you don't even really realize that. Um, you you kind of take every day as its own season, and you hope they win that game. And and Harry made it exciting, one way or the other. So it was uh, it was really him that that pushed me to even want to do this. And um, you know, going to St. Charles, you know, I I tried out for the baseball team my senior year, and I I was hurt. And, didn't make the team and so I asked the coach if I could be the PA announcer and and he said okay and uh you know that kind of got me going so it was uh it was that and then on to college and and doing as much as I could at North Central and Naperville and broadcasting all the sports there and then um I interned at WGN radio which was which was a big deal I helped out a lot with the Cubs broadcasts cutting up the radio uh highlights for those games uh, during the beginning of the 2005 season, you know, I was I'd made this big edited package of Derek Lee highlights when he had won the uh, Player of the Month in, in April of 2005. So that was really cool. And, and then I started broadcasting minor league baseball in 2008 in Mobile, Alabama, and did four years down there for the Mobile Bay Bears. Moved back to Chicago and got a job at the Score. And then the King County job opened soon after that, which I was able to get. And that really kind of set me to where where I am now because the score opened up so many opportunities for me to get my name out there and be on the big station and uh, fill in on the White Sox pregame and postgame shows, which was a big deal. So it was uh, it was kind of all heading toward my goal of being a big league announcer and, and finally was able to achieve that with the Mets in, in 2015. It's funny that you brought up, you know, Harry Carey just growing up. I, I remember those days, too, as well. It's funny. Harry Carey, no one really sat you down and told you that Jim Bollinger wasn't going to be the answer, right? But maybe that was the <laughs> that was the beauty, maybe, of, of Harry Carey and, and the role of the play-by-play man in the call. 
What do you remember most fondly from your Kane County Cougar days? Um, you know, Kane County was really a, a fun job and a, and a great place. You know, I've, having gone to high school in St. Charles, I'd been to those games a lot. I'd been to that stadium a lot. And it was really a, a great homecoming for me to be the voice of the Kane County Cougars. You know, I remember driving around St. Charles and Geneva and Batavia delivering pizza uh, for a place called Italian Dreams. And, you know, I'd have the Cubs and White Sox games on the radio in my car. And sometimes I'd put on the Cougars, too, and, and listen to Jeff Hem, who was my predecessor there. Um, so it was it was really interesting to go there and to call the games and, and spend a few seasons there. You know, it was kind of wild for me at the time because I was working at the score as much as I could, and I would often drive myself to the Cougars road games. You know, I'd go to Iowa, call a game that night, and then drive to the back to Chicago and be on the score the next morning, um, you know, doing updates for McNeil and Spiegel or whoever. So, um, you know, I kind of went back and forth a lot. At, at that time between the score and the Cougars and, you know, was trying to balance all of that. And the Cougars were really great about letting me, you know, have that flexibility to, to further my career, um, you know, which a lot of minor league teams, you know, sometimes don't do. So they were really uh, good about that and, and really helped me, you know, advance. Well, good for you that realizing a pizza place called Italian Dreams uh, was not the, <laughs> perhaps the calling card. I love that name for the pizza place. That's absolutely incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and a little more than ironic, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, spring training is here, Wayne. Um, I'm, ex- I'm, I gotta be, gotta tell that you're very excited. I'm super excited. You know, this is the, this is the time for pitch counts, long toss, fungo bats, brimming optimism. As a play-by-play man, are there any superstitions, rituals that you like to do to kind of get yourself into the mode of the season, the long haul that's about to come up? You know, how do you like to prep during this time? Yeah, no, I mean, really, at this time, I'm just going over the Mets. 40-man roster and either adding notes to players that have been with the Mets or in, in the case this year. New faces. You know, yeah, a whole lot of them. You know, really almost half the Mets 40-man roster is turned over from last year and they keep signing players late. You know, they've just signed Al Mora. They just signed Kevin Pillar. They just signed Jonathan VR. They signed... Uh, Great signing too, by the way. Today. Yeah, so, I mean, there's four major league names that they have brought in over just the last two or three weeks. So, um, it's, it's a little different in terms of the preparation, having to kind of on the fly learn some of these guys going into camp. But it's, uh, it's a great time for the Mets, and I, I think that there's, you know, worthy optimism about this team. And, you know, you look at the way that they're set up right now, you know, I, I know that there's a couple still parts that maybe they could improve, but you could wait to do that until middle of the season and, and figure out where you are from there. But I don't see any reason why this team can't challenge for a playoff spot, if not go right after the Braves and, and the NLEs. How excited are you to just watch Francisco Lindor on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean, that's thrilling. You, you see a player like that, especially, um, you know, the even though there's interleague play, you don't really see the American League players and stars all that often. Um, you know, how, how often do we see the Mike Trouts of the world or – uh, the Francisco Lindor is from the American League Central. You know, we'll see the guys from the American League East a little bit more. The Mets play the Yankees every year, so you see Aaron Judge and, and those guys pretty regularly. But from the AL West and the AL Central, you barely ever see those teams. So uh, it is it is thrilling that Francisco Lindor is going to be performing in the National League and in front of Mets fans on a daily basis. 
and you know I'll be I'll be excited to watch that. You know, when you see the great great players or great great pitchers, you know you really have an, an extra appreciation. I mean, you think about Jacob Degrom and getting to watch him pitch every fifth day. It's been really special to do that, and uh, you, you see that career blossoming. You know, I, I my first year with the Mets was 15. Degrom's rookie year was 14, so I didn't miss much of what could be a budding Hall of Fame career. And it's been, uh, you know, you really appreciate getting the chance to call those games and, and see those moments up in person. Typically once a year, there is a player, whether it's a pitcher or a position player, that comes out and surprises a little bit, maybe makes that 40-man roster and actually finds a way to contribute during the regular season. You know, just based on your experience, are there any characteristics that you kind of like to key on, you know, whether it maybe it is a, a veteran trying to get one last shot, an up and comer, a prospect through the course of spring training, where on a day to day basis you you watch them and you can kind of, you know, get that hint, maybe that little instinctual feeling that they're going to be able to do something maybe a little bit more than other people expected. Yeah, I think you can see that with pitchers, especially. You know, you uh, you kind of look at, at their stuff and and some guys that you know maybe aren't supposed to make the team early on but do show that they have major league talent over the course of spring training and I think in the Mets case going into this year those guys may not necessarily be there but you have every pretty much every big prospect the Mets have will has been invited to big league camp this year so guys like Matthew Allen and Ronnie Mauricio and Brent Beatty and and Mark Vientos some of the big prospects even Pete Crow Armstrong, who was a first-round pick for them just last year, was invited to Major League Camp. So, you know, these guys will have an opportunity to show off their skills uh, a little bit ahead of, of where they are in their in their minor league quest right now. And I think that's going to be exciting for Mets fans to see that there is some talent in the organization and can kind of get a, a little glimpse of that before they set off on their minor league season. This might be a hard question. This might be an easy question for a play-by-play announcer, but do you have a favorite inning? What's your favorite inning to call? Is there one that sticks out more than others? Um, you mean in the course of a, of a regular game or, or yeah, something? Yeah, a, a, a one through nine. Is there a particular inning that just for whatever reason sort of stands out to you that you know that you just really enjoy calling that part of the game? Now you get you know you get to the to the ends of games. You know I I like the first inning because you get to set everything up and you you have the you know, the adrenaline of, of a fresh ball game and uh, the teams take the field and, you know, if there's a great pitching matchup or a good lineup that day, you know, I think there's a general excitement about just the start of a new game. So uh, I like the first inning and then, you know, if it's a good game, you, you get down to the, to the seventh or the eighth or the ninth and really, you know, any of those innings can be pivotal. Um, you know, you just want to be able to, really call the excitement of those moments of those innings and of, of what could be a, a game changing, you know, play or, or pitch or whatever uh, at that point in the game. And, and you want to be able to give it uh, it's due. I think that's really the, the point for me is to, you know, call the play or call the, the pitch or call the hit um, that decides the game in a way that gives that moment justice and it, and not necessarily for the Mets either. You know, sometimes there's a, a game-winning home run. I thought one of my better calls uh, a couple of years ago was when Gene Segura hit a walk-off home run against the Mets. Um, it was the Mets had lost a, a bunch of games that week, and it was kind of a big week for them. And they they 
blew a lot of leads late in those games against the Phillies, including that one. Um, and I thought, you know, giving that moment its, its justice was important, even though it was something negative against the Mets. So, um, you know, I think just kind of stepping into the moment is, is important. Yeah, I was fascinated to hear your perspective because I, I'm in agreement with you. You know, I hate the Cardinals, right? But Joe Buck's call when Albert Pujols sends that uh, just sends that ball against the Astros deep into the night. I mean, it's one of also my favorite calls. And yeah, typically I would think that people in the ninth inning would automatically go to that's got to be your favorite inning. But it's just great to hear you just talk about the first. And I personally, I love that seventh inning, right? Where maybe a team's got a lead for a little bit. The starting pitcher's out. They dip into the bullpen. Guys are on first and second. Nobody's out all of a sudden. And there's that moment where this the game ratchets itself up to a different level a lot quicker than maybe people realize. And that seventh inning can feel just like a ninth inning. Yeah, it can. I think mean, the eighth inning can feel that way too. It, it just uh, it just kind of depends on on what's going on in a game. You know, it's it's funny. There's been a lot of debate about extra innings and uh, the runner on second base, which I don't like to start the tenth inning. But after the ninth inning, you know, even you know, unless it's a, just a huge game, you, you do kind of feel the wind come out of the sails a little bit as you get into the tenth or the eleventh or the twelfth. You know, you you just kind of feel like it it peaks at nine innings and then if it goes into the 10th and it just kind of goes down the hill later and later as the game goes on, uh, even though the result's still important, you know, you feel like the game itself reaches a climax at a, at a different time than the end. So, you know, I do think extra innings need some tweaking. I don't think the runner on second base is the way to do it, but uh, I, I, you do kind of feel that in the broadcast that, you know, the game feels less exciting as the longer it gets. Yeah, and that's the strange part. Yeah, it's almost like a war of attrition once you get to that 12th, 13th, and then the announcer goes, we're going to the 14th inning, folks. You know, it's, it's <laughs> one of those weird strap-it-in moments. Uh, I'd like to ask you just a broad baseball question. The Mets, we've, we've touched on it very briefly, but, but man, you know, Francisco Lindor, they signed James McCann, Joey Lucchese is coming in, Stroman's coming back, Carlos Carrasco, the list goes on and on. There's got to be a lot of hope and optimism with this Mets fans right now, but how would you handicap the NL East in general? Because it seems like that's going to be a fairly competitive division. Yeah, it will be. And I, you know, I, I, whatever reason, you've seen some of the projections in Atlanta is, is kind of expected to win fewer games than maybe you'd think on paper. I don't understand that. I think the Braves are going to be really, really good. You know, we don't even know how good their pitching is going to be. Ian Anderson is a guy that not a lot of people know that will probably be a number two or three starter for them this year, along with Max Freed. They expect Soroka to be healthy for most of the year. So that team should be very good. Um, you know, their bullpen is extremely strong. Their lineup is great. So I, I don't expect much of a downturn for the Braves at all. I think the Phillies have tried to improve their team. They have a lot of talent to begin with. You know, they could be an interesting team. Washington, with their starting rotation of, of Scherzer, Strasburg, and, and Corbin, if that if those three are healthy, they're tough to beat most days. You know, John Lester kind of takes what used to be the role of Anibal Sanchez in that rotation. So there's, there's tremendous talent there as well, and they've gotten a little bit better offensively with the additions of, of Schwarber and Bell. Um, so it's I not really a weak spot. You know, even the Marlins are coming off a year where they played uh, a good 60 games and got into the postseason. So you don't really know what to expect there either. Don't remind um, Cubs fans that. <laughs> yeah. Then they, oh man, they those, those arms too. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. They've got great starting young, starting pitching and, and that's led by, by Sixto. So it's, um, 
it's a tough division, and I, I think it's a, a much stronger division, top to bottom, than than any other in the National League. You know, the the NL West might have the two best teams, but the East, I think, is is a lot deeper. If we can bring it maybe over to the north and south side real quick, what do you think is more likely? The Chicago Cubs win 90 games or the White Sox win 100 games this year? What do you think would be more likely or realistic? Well, 100, 100 games is, is just very, very difficult to do. I mean, I, I think that the White Sox have a great and very talented team. You know, I think there's still good teams in that division. You know, Minnesota and Cleveland, at least, are still going to be competitive, and, and Minnesota could be really good. Um, you know, that's going to be tough for the White Sox to win that many. I, I do think that they will be a playoff team. I do think that there will be a lot of exciting moments on the south side this year, and, and that's a great thing for Chicago baseball. Um, but to answer your question, winning 90, you know, even for a team like the Cubs, who is kind of in a, a weird spot right now, is probably a little bit more doable than, than winning a hundred. It's kind of what I was driving. At. It seems like a bit of a tall order for both. I mean, I, I would think the White Sox could get to 90, but I just don't know what to make out of these Chicago Cubs moving forward. And that's why you play the games and, and they do have a little bit more depth than they did a couple of weeks ago. We're going to get you out of here on this final topic. I was really excited to talk to you about this because, you know, this happens to be one of my favorite places. I find it to be a hidden gem in Chicago. I feel like not enough people get a chance to visit it. I want to talk about the Italian Sports Hall of Fame. And if you could just briefly tell the listeners your involvement in it, because just going on the website, there are a couple of gentlemen on there named Brandazzo on there. And I'm going to take a guess that they might be perhaps related to you. Um, just talk about your involvement with the Italian Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, the Italian American Sports Hall of Fame is really a, a cool place. My cousin George started it in 1977 as um, a tribute to boxers, uh, to the great Italian American boxers like Rocky Marciano and Rocky Graziano and all those guys that the um, Jake LaMotta and, and these great Italian boxing names and those guys were his heroes. So he started this Italian American boxing hall of fame. And then a couple of years later, they wanted to open it up to all sports. They got Joe DiMaggio, not only to agree to be in it as the first inductee, non-boxing inductee, but DiMaggio became really, uh, a face and uh, a central figure for the Hall of Fame, which gave it a lot of legitimacy uh, at the beginning. So, you know, eventually anybody you could think of would has gotten uh, inducted. Dan Marino and Joe Montana and Mike Piazza and Yogi Berra and Tommy Lasorda. And, you know, we can go on and on. Even, even the macho man Randy Savage is an inductee of the Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame. And it's, um, it's a really, really cool place. You know, my cousin passed away a couple of years ago. So uh, Ron Onesti, who, you know, people in Chicago might be familiar with, is uh, a great owner of the Arcata Theater in St. Charles and a couple of other theaters in the Chicagoland area and puts on great concerts and shows. Ron has taken over as the president of the Hall of Fame, and they're going to open a new building on, on Belmont and Harlem, I think, pretty soon. And it's going to continue on and and you know, the legacy will uh, hopefully live on forever because it really is, as you say, uh, a very cool place. The, the memorabilia that George was able to gather over the years is incredible. You know, he's got Rocky Marciano's heavyweight championship belt. He's got every Olympic medal that Matt Biondi ever won. Um, and then it, uh, on top of those kind of headline items, he's got a, he's got a sword from a guy who was a fencer named Generoso Pavesi, who was this undefeated fencer in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He taught uh, Teddy Roosevelt how to be a, a fencer. 
So it's just uh, wow. it's just an incredible place with a, with a lot of cool stories and uh, a fantastic lineage that you know is is something that I, I hope continues to be special to Chicago and and to Italian Americans. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a special place, a place that you just said Chicago can call its own. And for those that are like, I don't want to drive out to Canton or I don't want to go to the you know travel to the Baseball Hall of Fame, you can literally go to this place and spend a significant amount of time seeing some just truly incredible athletes, you know, and all the all tied together. My wife is Italian. They have a Pittsburgh chapter there, which is where she's from and her whole family. Hopefully when everything gets back to normal, I've already convinced them to come down and take a trip, you know, and if, you know, the Tommy Lasorda statue there, it's all, it's all a really incredible place. And uh, I just think it's something that Chicagoans should really, um, you know, not just, not just know about, but, you know, really embrace and take in. And I think a lot of people have, and more people should just know about it. Well, I appreciate uh, you know, you saying that, and and hopefully, um, you know, with the new the new building, people can start touring it again, and um, you know, see the Hall of Fame and and all the great things that has been uh, have been collected over the years by George and and a few others. Yeah, absolutely, it's a total must see, and you've got a major supporter in myself, Wayne Randazzo. Thank you so much for taking the time. I wish you the best of luck. You know, maybe not so much the best of luck. We are Chicago Cubs fans over here. We still are a little <laughs> bummed about Victor Diaz in 2004, but we're okay. We'll be, we'll be all right. But thank you so much for taking time to join the show. I really appreciate it. I know you're going to be a busy man, but maybe somewhere down the road we can talk again. All right, Joey. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne. This was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. we got plenty more great stuff coming up, so make sure you check it out. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.